Welcome to It Is What It Is with your host, Swaggy Dodge. Um, obviously, biggest news in sports last night, the Thunder Spurs, crazy game one, crazy final sequence, one of the craziest last minutes we've ever seen, in a, let a, just in a basketball game all around. You had the elbow from Dion Waiters that was a no-call, inbound pass that was still stolen by the San Antonio Spurs, ended up not being a bucket, Oklahoma City steals game two in San Antonio. Looking back, obviously a lot of people are outraged with the no call that was the Deion Waiters elbow on the inbounds pass. Um, you'll look back at the play, clearly he got Ginobili, definitely should have been called an offensive foul. But a, what a lot of people aren't really understanding is the fact that the Spurs were still able to steal the ball with 15 seconds left. They still had a timeout. They had a three-on-one fast break, and they were still unable to convert. Patty Mills got a great look from a, for a corner three. Obviously, he's a phenomenal shooter. Just came up short. Obviously, this has people in – they're just livid with these NBA officials the last couple nights. Um, going back to the the Raptors-Pacers series, the DeMar DeRozan push-off on Jan Mahini in the final 15 seconds of the game – had a lot of people outraged because that was a clear foul, and the refs didn't didn't make that call. And the refs are in; they're definitely in a position where it seems like they there's no way they can win because if the refs are to make that call, everyone's going to point at them and say, "Let them play." It's a playoff basketball; it's just playoff basketball. But if they don't make the call, they're in the situation they are today, where they miss these calls and it costs teams a game, and it costs a team a game. To me, the the Raptors Pacers series. You hate to see it, but it was almost decided by the refs. Um, you look going down a couple minutes left. Paul George gets a big steal. They're down by three. He comes down, uh, makes a layup, but the refs call an offensive foul on a push-off. Now, whether it was or wasn't a push-off is neither here nor there. It's just a call that you wouldn't really like to see made. And then coming down to the stretch, that push-off on, uh, on Jan Mahimi from DeMar DeRozan that wasn't called is just another example. And then... Obviously, last night you had these these refs, elbow from Dion Waiters, right to Manu Ginobili. Ref didn't call anything. But to me, the biggest missed call of that entire sequence was LaMarcus Aldridge got the, the offensive rebound for San Antonio, and he was actually held under the rim by the Thunder's Serge Ibaka, had a fistful of his jersey. That was the biggest missed call to me. It wasn't so much the the Ginobili play because the Thunder still got the ball, so that's I can I can forgive that. But the refs really missed one, in my opinion, when the when Serge Ibaka had all of uh, Lamarcus Aldridge's jersey, really with uh, prohibiting his his progress to get the ball and to get a shot up. To me, that's two shots for San Antonio, and that's you know obviously with the great free throw shooter like Lamarcus Aldridge went ten for ten last night. He, he probably knocks at least one down since the game in overtime. Completely different basketball game. Now, speaking of LaMarcus Aldridge, what a game he had. 15 for 21 last night. 41 points. Every single one the Spurs needed. It was just a phenomenal game for LaMarcus Aldridge. He scored his team's final 13. That's big time. That's why they brought him to San Antonio. But, and obviously for Oklahoma City, you know you're going to get a lot of Durant, a lot of Westbrook, but a big story that not a lot of people are talking about, strictly because of all the chaos that ensued, 
is Kawhi Leonard and really the fact that he was not at superstar status, did not look, he just looked not not comfortable last night. Uh, 7 for 18 shooting, only 14 points. Did have 7 rebounds and 2 steals, but he wasn't the Kawhi Leonard we saw from game 1. I mean, Kawhi Leonard, uh, that first game against the Thunder, started the series off with a big dunk, started the series off shooting 6 for 6. The game was over before halftime for, for the Thunder. Game 2, completely different story. Flipped the script. Kawhi Leonard did not look comfortable whatsoever. Really, really struggled. Shot 0 for 2 from the free throw line. Obviously, you have to make your free throw, something I always harp on. He goes 0 for 2, which is something that never happens in the regular season for Kawhi Leonard. He's an 86% free throw shooter. You don't expect to see stuff like that. So the low shooting percentage, the low free throw percentage, low point total for Kawhi Leonard is definitely something that I think needs to be addressed. And he is definitely at fault for this this Spurs loss. I mean, obviously the refs missed some calls there at the end, but the Spurs should have never been in position to lose that game. I mean, they started shooting the game 2 for 14. You don't expect to see that from the San Antonio Spurs, probably the best passing team in basketball. And to have such a, a tough night and then to have their biggest star, Kawhi Leonard, really struggle like that. Obviously, you're going to really struggle losing their just their second game at home this season. Big upset. Oklahoma City gets back in the series. But I'm not sure if they're ready to win the series yet. Obviously, they have a home court advantage the rest of the series. And Oklahoma City um, is a very difficult place to play. Chesapeake Bay Arena is one of the most difficult venues in all of professional sports to play at but these Spurs are such a good team and it seems like it took everything the Thunder had to win this game I mean Durant and Westbrook had phenomenal games both had over 28 points Westbrook almost a near triple double you've seen Steven Adams put up 17 rebounds all of these things happen obviously the the chaos in the final minute and Oklahoma City still won by just one point. Kawhi Leonard, as I just harped on, had a bad night. The Spurs started off bad. Tim Duncan had a bad night. All these Spurs had subpar to bad nights, and they were still only able to get a one-point win. Uh, the Thunder were. So, to me, I can't put the Thunder as favorites yet, and I don't think this series makes it past six games. But this is definitely a start. This is the Thunder needed, obviously, as the underdog, you need to go win a game on the road. And against this Spurs team, you can't go down 2-0 and expect to get back in the series because that puts so much pressure on you to go win in Oklahoma City. Which I'm not say, saying they're not capable of doing, but, I mean, it's incredibly difficult to win two straight games at home and then you're going to have to eventually go win in San Antonio if you're the Thunder. So that win last night, obviously huge. It's still very early in the series, and I don't expect... Kawhi Leonard to have another bad night like that, but big time win for Oklahoma City. Now, transitioning, there was another game that was a great game as well in the Eastern Conference between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Atlanta Hawks. Obviously, or the Cavs were able to, to get the win, 94-103, to stay undefeated in these playoffs. Really was the LeBron James show down the stretch. Kyrie Irving made some big shots. Um, really, it was the Cavs being the Cavs, and just really playing better basketball than the Hawks. They they out-assisted the Hawks, which is something that, you know, the Hawks are, that's what they do. They move the ball, and the Cavs are supposed to be more of an ISO team. But, you know, these Atlanta Hawks, 
really fought. They cut the game. Uh, they actually had a, a lead with under four minutes left, and then LeBron took over, showed why he is still the best player in basketball. For the Hawks, though, something interesting that I thought was Dennis Schroeder. Um, you know, cut, he's been in the league a few years. 27 last night off the bench. Actually played more minutes than the starter, Jeff Teague. He played 28 minutes. Jeff Teague played 21. And he had 27 points. Uh, to me, I think Schroeder is the long-term solution. I really like this kid's game. Uh, he reminds me, body type-wise, of Rajon Rondo. I think he's a better shooter than Rondo is and ever will be um, shot. He made five threes last night, so he's comfortable taking that shot. And I think Rondo is a much better facilitator than Schroeder is and probably a better defender. But if you just look at their bodies, um, lank, lankier point guards with, with long arms, really want to irritate the opposition. I mean, we saw last last series against Boston, Dennis Schroeder getting to get in, get in with Isaiah Thomas a little bit. So you know he can maybe play those those mind games a little bit, but I Mike Budenholzer has to make the adjustment if he wants to make the series. I understand that Kyle Korver is one of the elite shooters in the game, but last night he played 36 minutes and only attempted one three pointer. Obviously, he is a great three point shooter, so that's why he's in the game only to shoot one. I mean, J.R. Smith, all credit to him, he did a phenomenal job. Uh, chasing Kyle Korver around, which isn't fun at all. J.R. Smith played 37 minutes chasing Kyle Korver all the way around the court, but Kyle Korver has to either shoot more or Budenholzer has to play him less. Um, look, I, I look for if the Hawks want to compete in this series, Dennis Schroeder has to play with Jeff Teague. They have to play the one-two. Kyle Korver needs to needs to become more of a sixth man. I'm not saying he doesn't, you need to sit him entirely, but... Instead of playing 36 minutes, maybe only play 22-23 and have Dennis Schroeder get a ton of minutes because he is a mismatch nightmare for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Obviously, Jeff Teague is a phenomenal athlete, and he can put a lot of pressure on the defense, but Dennis Schroeder can take it to the next level because he is a much better shooter than Jeff Teague is. And this is really where the Hawks have, I think, their biggest advantage because you have Kevin Love, you have LeBron James, and you have Kyrie Irving. Obviously, you're not going to have an advantage on LeBron James. Kyrie Irving's a great offensive player, not a true floor general, maybe not an elite defender. So I think that's where you really need to take advantage if you're the Atlanta Hawks. You need to take advantage on making Kyrie Irving guard, play both sides of the floor, instead of just focusing on offense. Because we saw last night, and what makes LeBron so great is the fact that he trusts his teammates. We saw him down the stretch with about six minutes left. He let Kyrie go to work, and Kyrie did. Kyrie shot 8 for 18, not too terrible, 21 points. Really played well, getting the Cavs back, in, back, giving them back the lead. And then King James took over, as he often does. We saw him get a big and one with about a minute and a half left. That was essentially the dagger. Then he came down next possession, put it to a seven-point lead. Cleveland never looked back after that. These Cavs look great. I think, you know, after that, that first round, everyone realized that these Cavs were not here to mess around. I think everyone knew that they were probably going to repeat as Eastern Conference champions just because they're more talented than everyone else in the East, honestly. But I, I don't think anyone was ready to see what they did to De Detroit because that Pistons team is a bright young team that has, you know, they're, they're definitely not ready and they weren't going to compete with the Cavs this series. 
but I thought they were gonna get a I thought they were gonna get a win and the Cavs didn't let that happen. Didn't really it didn't even look like a high stress series for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Getting lots of rest. Definitely what you need come playoff basketball. I think the Cavs, you can make the case that, you know, with the Steph Curry injury, with this Thunder Spurs series, the Cavs are a lot of people's pick now to win the finals because they're playing their best basketball. Um, obviously, when Steph Curry gets back, a lot of people are going to put the Warriors back on, you know, the top, although they look great without him. But I think, especially with a shooter like Curry, I think that it's going to take some time for him to get his rhythm back. I mean, he had two injuries this postseason, and he went through the regular season without really being injured at all. So I think it's going to take a lot of, maybe not a lot of time, but it's going to take a few a few games to readjust in Steph Curry for Steph Curry to get back to, to normal game speed. And, you know, in the playoffs, there's only a limited amount of games. So I the Cavs right now look as good as anyone in this postseason. And if LeBron James keeps playing like the level he is last like the level he has been playing with the last series and last night, the Cavs are almost as good as any team, probably as good as any team, and they're ready to make another deep postseason run. And now looking at the the Warriors talking about we talked about the Warriors, looking at their game tonight. Um, against the Portland Trail Blazers, uh, no Steph Curry again. He said he should be ready for Game Three, but you look at at Game One, what they were able to do to the Portland Trail Blazers. Clay Thompson had a huge game, 37 points uh, on 14 for 28 shooting, 7 for 14 from the three-point line. Draymond Green triple double, 23, 11, and 13. Big time game for him, and really it was a ended up being a 12-point game. Wasn't as close as that. Golden State took control early in the first quarter. Never looked back. But I don't think that the this should make everyone anyone believe that the Blazers are a bad team or that this series is over. Because you look at Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, the engine that makes Golden State that makes Portland go thirteen for forty one. Um, Again, in game one, um, four for 12 from the three-point line. When they were on the court, a, mi- a point differential of minus 29, only 42 points between them. That's not going to get it done against the Golden State Warriors because you need these guys, Lillard and McCollum, to be dominant. You need them to be, you need Lillard to be the best player on the court, and you probably need McCollum to be the second or third best player on the court. That didn't happen at all. And I don't expect to see that again. We looked last series, Lillard and McCollum struggled game one and two against the Clippers, and obviously we saw how that that turned out with Portland advancing in six, but obviously there was a lot lot of injuries in that Clippers series to, to L.A., so it's a little bit different circumstances, but I don't expect Damian Lillard to struggle like he did against in game one of both series, Golden State and Portland. I expect him, you know, he's a... A great player. This is the town he's from. That's where he's playing. So, you know, he has a little bit of extra motivation. So I expect him to really get back on track. I'm not sure I'm I'm not sure if Portland is gonna be able to win. I don't think they have the talent to win, but I expect them to compete. I expect them, especially without Steph Curry in the lineup, that's why I expect Damian Lillard to have a big time game. I expect him to have a huge game tonight against Portland. 
and I expect or against Golden State, and I expect this to be a closer game. And I, I'm gonna say that that Portland pulls off the upset in Oracle tonight. I'm expecting Damian Lillard to have a huge game, and I'm expecting C.J. McCollum to bounce back, get get the Blazers 20 to 25 points. And I expect this to be 1-1 heading into Portland game three uh, later this uh, or you know, this weekend, and Steph Curry then he returns, and then it's a best three of five, and then it makes the series a lot more interesting. And now talking about the final series, the Miami Heat. And the Toronto Raptors, two teams that took their their series to Game Sevens, obviously both advancing. Miami beating uh, Charlotte Game Seven, and then Toronto beating Indiana Game Seven. Um, two teams that you know, honestly, at this point, I don't trust the Toronto Raptors. They look really, really shaky. I've seen you know, I've seen them play all regular season, seen them play in the postseason. It's like two different teams. Um, against Indiana, they really went into prevent offense and allowed Indiana to make um, a. They cut the game really, really close. Cut it to within three points uh, in that game seven in Toronto. So their offense just isn't the same as it's been. I mean, Demar Derozan ten for thirty two in that game seven, not very efficient. He needs to play much better. Kyle Lowry hasn't looked like Kyle Lowry. But I got to give the Toronto Raptors the advantage in the series just because I'm not sure Miami is ready to compete at, at this level. I mean, that, that seven-game series against Charlotte took a lot out of them. They were down 3-2, ended up winning the game six in Charlotte, as we all know. Then game seven, they were able to win. But you look at these, you look at Miami Heat, I think the biggest X factor is a guy who hasn't played all playoffs and really hasn't and hasn't played since the All Star break and that's Chris Bosh. He's obviously rumored to have want he asked the Heat to play. He has the blood clots in his legs. Hasn't played since the All Star break as I just uh, stated. So if he's able to to play eighteen to twenty two minutes, we're not expecting him to be a starter. We're not expecting him to play forty three minutes a game and you know score thirty five points. But if he's able to come in give you solid minutes off the bench. He is still one of the best face-up fours in the game and one of the most difficult matchups for any team in the NBA. I mean, you look at who the Raptors would have to put on him, probably a, a Damare Carroll, who Chris Bosh has the size advantage-wise, height-wise, over him. So that's going to create a ton of mismatch problems. If they put a big on him like Jonas Valenciunas, he's going to be able to... Valenciunas isn't going to want to leave the paint and Bosch is going to be able to really show off his, his shooting touch, which that's something he's obviously been working on his this whole season, the last few seasons. One of the elite shooters in the game. I mean, he was in the three-point contest before the blood clots uh, were found. So this Chris Bosch is a very capable shooter, and he is. I think to me if he can give you 12 points off the bench, that makes Miami much more formidable, but... I don't think the Raptor or the Heat can win without him. I think that this Miami team needs one other guy. I mean, Dwayne Wade, you know he's going to play. You know he's going to give it all he has. I mean, we saw he was vintage Dwayne Wade uh, last last series. But do you expect him to do that in the seven-game series against Toronto, who's a 
far more talented team than the Charlotte Hornets are. So I'm not sure if Dwayne Wade is able to to carry the team like he was able to last last series. But I mean, you saw Goran Dragic was that that nu- number two option at times, uh, definitely in that game seven against Charlotte. So somebody has to win this series for Miami because Toronto, I think, is more talented. Um, I think Hassan Whiteside is going to be a big-time factor, probably the best rim protector in basketball right now. And Charlotte actually was the best rebounding team in all basketball, and Miami dominated them on the, on the glass, beating them by a margin of over 12 rebounds a game. So that was really the key to the series last, last time. Miami out-rebounded Toronto in their three matchups this season, so rebounding's going to have to be a focal point for the Raptors. And if the Heat are able to win that rebounding battle, then I think you have a, you have a shot if you're Miami, especially if Hassan Whiteside gets a lot of those and those turn into put-back dunks. I mean, Miami against Charlotte, they had six, re- six offense rebounds in the first quarter. So you're gonna, Miami's going to have to get on the glass. They're going to have to win the glass battle in order to, to compete in this series. If they're not able to do that, I think Toronto wins this. I'm honestly, I don't trust Toronto to win in five, so I'm gonna take Toronto in six. I think they're they're gonna win one on the road in Miami, and then obviously close it out. But that's uh, that's how I think that one will end up going. NFL draft just ended uh, over the weekend. Jared Goff going number one to the L.A. Rams, staying in California. Uh, Philadelphia takes Carson Wentz in number two, which led to Sam Bradford, the starting quarterback of the Eagles, who just signed uh, a big deal this past offseason, being very upset. I mean, obviously, you never want to see your replacement come in. Sam Bradford, you know, has said that um, the Eagles were, or Sam Bradford's agent, however, said that the Eagles were not fair in their dealings with, with him, and you know, although the Eagles GM has said that you know he's been very transparent about this whole process, he said that you know he told everyone that they're looking for a QB for the future and they want they want to find that guy. However, why they said that they didn't say that they were going to trade that number to that number two overall pick and give up all they did to get that guy. Maybe they were maybe Bradford thought they were looking at a guy like a Paxton Lynch that would be a project, so he would be able to start this season. For me, I understand where Sam Bradford's agent's coming from because essentially he's playing a game that he can't win because even if Sam Bradford plays well, as soon as Carson Wentz is ready, that's who the Eagles want. That's why they drafted him number two. As soon as Carson Wentz is ready, he's the, the quarterback in Philly for Eagles fans are hoping for the next 10 years, and they hope you know he can get them to a, a Super Bowl and, you know, make multiple playoff runs and, you know, throw for 35 touchdowns. But when Sam Bradford struggles, as, you know, I, I think he will, I don't think he's really an elite NFL quarterback. I think he's maybe just a middle-of-the-pack guy. I think the Eagles fans, those die-hard Philly fans, are going to call for Sam Bradford to be benched for Carson Wentz and let him play. So I, I think Sam Bradford's in a, in a lose-lose situation here because – he essentially needs to be perfect for to even keep his job. I mean, let alone you know get become an a, a elite 
signal caller. He needs to to play absolutely phenomenal football to just keep a starting spot. And I think you know this is a guy, former Heisman Trophy winner, former number one overall pick, has had some bad ACL injuries in his career. Really, has cost him a couple seasons, but he hasn't been a terrible quarterback. I mean, you look, he's sixty percent completion for his career, seventy-eight touchdowns to fifty-two interceptions, and he's been doing this for teams that really don't have go-to wide receivers. I mean, he, in uh, St. Louis, when he was a Ram, he didn't have that go-to guy. And now he, in Philly, he hasn't had a go-to guy, really. So I think he's put up these numbers, these average numbers, on teams with subpar offensive weapons. So you can definitely understand his gripe. But to me, and or for, for me, I think he'll, he'll end up getting traded, but... I'm not sure if it's going to be as soon as he wants because you look, the teams that need quarterbacks, uh, the, the San Francisco 49ers are one of those teams. Um, the Denver Broncos just drafted Paxton, but they were one of those teams. The The market on these quarterbacks on Sam Bradford and Colin Kaepernick are not extremely hot anymore. I mean, teams, the, the starting spots are slowly filling up. I mean, the Rams got their guy. The Eagles got their next guy. Um, we saw the Jets get their guy and Christian Hackenberg. So we see these these spots slowly filling up. So I'm not sure if Sam Bradford is able to I'm not sure if anyone is, is willing to give up what the Eagles are gonna want for Sam Bradford, you know, for this guy who has been honestly he's been aggressively average in his NFL career. I mean he hasn't ever been a guy that people are thinking of as, you know, the guy and, you know, he's going to be the savior of this franchise, but he's also not looked on like a maybe like a Brian Hoyer who's one of the 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 worst signal callers in fo- in as a starter in football. So he's just been, you know, aggressively average and then, you know, he's been been hurt at times and obviously fans hate to see that missing whole seasons at a time. So Health is a concern, and really production's a concern. I mean, I know he ended the season last year with three straight 300-yard games, but with the touchdown-to-interception ratio of 5-3. to three. So, yeah, he threw for a lot of yards toward the end of that season, but he didn't really do it with a ton of efficiency. I mean, he was over 66% in all, uh, for completion percentage in all of those games, but he wasn't really looking like a franchise quarterback even then. So, to me, it's going to be very, very interesting uh, what happens with Sam Bradford in the coming days, months, whatever, and if he's able to get dealt. Obviously, I hope the best for the guy. Uh, still 28 years old. You expect him to be in the prime of his career, so the market could be there. Um, but as of now, the rumors I have I have heard from sources is that there's not – a, a huge market on on Sam Bradford and or Colin Kaepernick for that matter. So both of those guys who at, at times, you know, Colin Kaepernick, you flashback a couple years, was looking like he was going to be the next guy in San Francisco. Now they want him out. Uh, Sam Bradford, former number one overall pick, the Rams thought he was going to be the guy. Now he's he's slowly out of his way of Philly. So definitely what a couple years can do for for quarterbacks, but that is all the time we have today for It Is What It Is with Swaggy Dodge. Um, Tune in tomorrow at the same time, 
uh, 5 p.m. Um, and thanks for listening.